Welcome to the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World, and welcome to the latest episode of a Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. This is Mike Delisio, your host, and as always, joined by Sebastian Dennison. Hey, Mike, what's going on? Not much. Um, it's been a, a busy summer. Um, we've been we've been on the run, but it's always like that in the summer. It's supposed to be quiet, yeah. but it's not quiet because there's no school, but busy because there's lots of people who are, have time to address problems. So we all get pulled into it in the compounding world. I also heard a little rumor that um, you guys recorded an episode without me, which was probably a better idea since there was four pharmacists on that episode and. I probably did not have a spot to even chime in. So it's, it was probably better for our audience. Honestly, I felt like I was an observer of, of the nucleus of awesome. If well, we had have had Sarah here, I would have like gotten one word in, being like, welcome, and then that would have been it. So I'm you glad you're back. I, I'm, I'm glad to be back. And more importantly, I'm glad to see this guy as well because he's no stranger to the podcast. He's been on a handful of times covering a variety of topics, and he's you know one of your close friends, a member of our clinical services team. He's been with the company for a while, and he's none other than Nat Jones. Hey, hey, hey. Yep. Now, everyone knows that voice, Nat. And I know you and, you and I were at a trade show together, and people recognized the voice immediately. <laughs> the trade shows are always fun because you get such a wide variety of people walking up, and you never know who's going to come around the corner next, you know? So surprise. It's cool. And then you're like, hey, I've spoken to you over the, over the <clears throat> last few years, and you obviously, being a member of our clinical services team, how about a lot of these folks, they don't have a chance to see you face-to-face. But I think I've made this comment on prior episodes. You've, you're definitely one of our biggest speakers at PCCA, spoken on a variety of topics. One of those topics is what we're going to talk about today, and that's really the world of dermatology, but more specifically, psoriasis and eczema. The month of August is National Eczema and Psoriasis Month, and what better time to dive right back into this topic. I think we were chatting about this in the beginning, right before we recorded, and I think we covered something very similar, I would say, at episode 30 or so. So if anyone wants to go back to previous episodes and try to review some of that content. I think this is going to be a great combination and an add-on that you can probably join the both because uh, it's been maybe three or four years since we had a chance to record on that topic. But definitely, Nat, welcome back. Um, I know Thank this you. is topics that both uh, you and Sebastian are very well versed on. Um, things change, things evolve over time. The cool part about our clinical services team is that you guys get questions from patients, questions from pharmacists that um, definitely are members of PCCA. And we always look at new innovative formulas, new ideas, things that can help treat these disease states in a different way. And that's kind of the cool part about your world. And I know you've dedicated a lot of time, Nat, to creating, you know, ebooks on the topic as well. Uh, you alluded to that the last time we had a chance to record. So, you know, even before we get into the specifics, what are some of the things that really stand out to you over the last few years since we had a chance to record on this on this specific topic? Um, the big thing that stands out to me is is, uh, is what Sebastian and I have been talking about a lot, and that is autoimmune issues across the board and immune system dysfunction, and, and then you know 
everything that's gone on with everybody's immune system in the last uh, couple of years, can you say pandemic, has kind of brought even more of that uh, immune talk to the forefront. And it's a, a huge part of what goes on with a lot of, of uh, dermatologic conditions, especially with psoriasis and atopic derm or eczema, atopic eczema, because they're autoimmune problems, right? So understanding the, the physiology and some basic stuff underneath the surface with the immune system helps you understand what's going on with the disease. And it also helps you, gives you some direction as to which way that you, you want to steer therapy because it opens up a lot of mechanisms that you can take advantage of and help the patients with their disease state and their symptoms. So that, that to me is the big, the big takeaway for the last couple of years. So. And I, I find it really interesting because the last three years we've seen so much more so much more involvement with people recognizing that their health is um, it has to be addressed. They, they can't just kind of keep skating it the way that they were. So we're seeing people who are kind of coming, revisiting pharmacies and saying, hey, how do, how do I make this better? And yeah, because a lot of people think of uh, dermatologic problems as just being a problem with the skin. And from a functional medicine perspective, it's always why are they having a problem with the skin? You know, what's the root cause? And What's underneath this disease? Is it just a derm problem or is it something much bigger? And it's usually in this case with psoriasis, it's always something much bigger. I, I, I want to say, and if I remember correctly, there's literature going back like 2013, 2014, that they actually talked about uh, sending patients who had a, a, any sort of dermatological condition, psoriasis, eczema, uh, this atopic dermatitis that was chronic, to sending them for cardiovascular workups. And now what we've seen is this sort of evolution where they're saying, well, we also should be doing workups on overall gut health as well as other immune uh, conditions because we never see these dermatological chronic conditions as a siloed single event. It's almost always accompanied by something else. It's, that's just all that drives the patient into the physician or provider to say, hey, I have a problem. This really bothers me. Um, and then once you start peeling back the layers, all of a sudden it becomes like, oh, well, here is a pretty major contributor. So I love this part. Um, I, I could probably get carried away. You and I could probably like start singing songs about this stuff in a, in a minute. So I'm going to start off with a question where I'd probably want you to jump in and say, what have you seen changed uh, predominantly in your world in the last two years, three years? Because when we were talking about it before, you had some really good ideas and really good insights. But if people have listened to episode 30-ish, they're probably like, well, what else have you got? So I want to start off with something new and fun and exciting. Well, um, one of the things that uh, when you look at specifically about psoriasis, for example, um, we put together a formula a couple years ago. Um, I, I came across some information from the 90s. It was interesting that they were looking at patients who had seizure disorders or trigeminal neuralgia, primarily seizure disorders, who were taking this drug called carbamazepine, Tegretol, the old brand name, for, um, for seizures, and um, they noticed the patients who also had psoriasis got better when they took their carbamazepine orally. So um, you know, when, you, when I see something like that in the literature, I think, okay, well, if you can take it orally and get it to the skin, you can certainly apply it to the skin and get hopefully get effect from it. So uh, put together a formula with some topical carbamazepine in it and, and, and did some research on what the mechanism is. Turns out we've been treating psoriasis, plaque psoriasis, specifically with coltar, which is a, a keratolytic, something that makes the skin peel away, gets rid of that thick, plaquey look to the skin uh, for decades. But it's messy. It smells, and it's like, literally, it's tar. So, um, and it's, it stains clothing and 
people are not really, really fond of using it because it's very noticeable when you do. Uh, it turns out the active component, or one of the active components in that uh, coal tar is a thing called carbazole, and carbazole structure resembles carbamazepine structure. So it was kind of a, um, a, a neat opportunity to try that, and we did. We put it in combination with a couple other um, things that we've used in other psoriasis formulas as well. And the combination works really well. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback on that formula. And it, it works, but it doesn't smell. It doesn't stain your clothing. It doesn't stain your bed sheets. You know, uh, it's a whole lot easier to live with uh, than the, the, the tar solutions. So that, that to me was kind of exciting. Um, and hopefully we'll get some clinical data or cases published on that in the not too, too distant future. So uh, that's kind of, that was new for plaque psoriasis. So that's one of the things that, uh, that I, uh, I thought was cool from a formulation perspective anyway. Well, I, I'm going to jump in behind you because I was excited about the use of the carbamazepine over the LCD because it's just so much easier to work with as a compounder and as a, as a mm -hmm. tech. You're not dealing with this separation. You're not getting these like brown stringy runny things and patients coming back and saying, what's wrong with your compound? It's so much easier to work with. And, and like you said, doesn't smell, doesn't stain, doesn't, doesn't mess up stuff. But I like, mm -hmm. I love the formulation piece. So but yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good, fun good feedback. Yeah, yeah. You know, on the note of fun one, because um, <laughs> it's so fun, fun with skin. Yeah, it's, of course. Yeah, it's so funny the way that you guys put it. And I, I try to think of a practical approach. So maybe this question is for both of you. We'll start with Nat. Uh, when dealing with dermatologists or potential, you know, primary care physicians that you know have patients that have issues with psoriasis and eczema, it, what is the best way to position it to them as a pharmacist? To, to give them better insight in terms of what tools, resources, not necessarily just formulation ideas, uh, could be base technology, everything. How is it positioned um, so that for the purpose of compounding, for the purpose of you know, running your pharmacy, that there is uptick in prescriptions and there's the ability to connect the dots and serve the triad? When you're looking at psoriasis, it's a disease that is where the patients suffer transepidermal water loss. There's barrier dysfunction with the disease. Same thing with atopic derm. So we have a wonderful cream called Zematop, and in Zematop, we have got a ceramide, a pseudoceramide, which helps repair that barrier. So it's an excellent barrier repair cream. Uh, it's got, you know, things in it that help reduce inflammation. Uh, we know this. We've seen it in, in, uh, in vitro studies where we've been able to reduce, you know, IL-6 levels and all that kind of stuff nicely. So uh, it's, it's good to help to repair the barrier. It's good to help uh, hold the water back in the skin. So using a base like that, with, and that's, that's the primary base that I use when I formulate for, for psoriasis is Zemetop. Without question, it's been such a wonderful um, outcome for so many people. I think it makes a massive difference when you're putting together any formula and, you've got, and you're treating psoriasis. You've got to pick the right base. So um, does that kind of answer your question? I think, I don't know, kind of, sort of. Yeah, I, I think it does. I just... I'm trying to think back of, you know, most people would have, you know, a concern of saying, you know, they don't do any dermatological compounding. They obviously see patients with certain conditions and it's like how to position this to the doctor, either dermatologist or, uh, you know, PCP. And like, what do you, what do you do from there? Where do you go from there? What types of resources the PCCA offer to hopefully, you know, gain interest? Um, and is it one of those situations that is it a low hanging fruit is it something that is, you know, easy to explain to the doctor that this is what you're able to do? These are the formulations that you have access to. Because um, the goal in mind, obviously, is to build your business around mm -hmm. 
dermatology and, and the practice that relates to a lot of the preparations that you can make. So the, I guess the question was broad, but at the same time specific to, you know, how do you position it to the physician? Well, one, one, we just had uh, our dermatology seminar in July, and one of our speakers was a dermatologist. She's, in fact, she's a dermatopathologist, and uh, she was mentioning about how to, um, what is she looking for when someone comes in to market to her with compounding, right? Um, she doesn't want to be overwhelmed with information, that you can't go in with a sheet with a thousand formulas on it, you know, and that, that's just way too much. So you want to get specific, but you want to have it simple enough that, that it makes it an easy format to work with. Um, and the other thing is just, you just want to be very direct when you're talking to physicians. Just say, okay, we've got a base that's specific for psoriasis. Um, you know, here's what's in it. Let me show you a couple of formulas. If you're interested, let me know. And you can just kind of uh, go in with one or two disease states and not overwhelm them because derm is huge. Derm's hundreds of you know, different disease states, permutations, permeations, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but trying to keep it reasonably simple and keeping it straightforward is a great way to get in. Um, yeah, I think that the message is there. Dermatologists need compounding pharmacists. Even if they don't know they do, they need one, right? That they need that. That's a partnership that's gonna gonna work for both of you. And um, they don't know what they don't know. And because the standard of care is pushing so many standard of care products their way, they're kind of in a focus. You know, I mean, they're they're, in, they're you know, they've got this pathway that they're treating everybody with, and and it's nice to see other options. People like options, you know. So if you can show them a couple of options that you have, things especially things that have been successful. We've got case studies published. You can walk in with pictures and say, here's this formula. This is what happened to this patient. Show it to them, right? So, and and kind of jumping in behind you is. That standard of care that we always see, it's always like start with a corticosteroid, switch to a cor different corticosteroid, and then it's a step, step, step. But that continued failure is usually indicative of immune sort of hyperactivity, and we're still not addressing it at the bottom. bottom. And then we've also got these patients who are still failing. So to me, it's easier to leverage this to, well, which dermatologists are writing for the corticosteroids that are you know are going to be progressing? Because you, the patients are already like, yeah, it's working okay. What else have you got? That's, you've already figured out who your prescribers are by looking at your data, by looking at your current population, and then finding those dermatologists. They're, they're just like, oh, you've got something else because they know what fails. They've been doing this for a long period of time. They've already got the patient population, and you're showing up with something new in addition to what they're already, what they're already carrying. And that's going to be my message on this is adjunct. Always add therapy. Not replace, not to discard, not to... Um, avoid, it's in addition to what you're already doing, this may uh, serve to improve these patient outcomes. And that's what the, the goal is. Like you said, there's no cure. So what are we trying to do is make the best possible outcome for these patients. So yeah, I, I think that, and, and especially with our proprietary bases and these sort of unique properties that come in and they're like, here's the literature, here's the information here are the ingredients because they already know this stuff. That's what their, that's what the last five years of their education was before they were launched into practice was understanding these really fine details. And you're coming in speaking the same language. Wow. They're just like, great. I needed you. Where, where have you been for the last five years? Yeah. The, um, the, the only slippery slope is, is the, are the corticosteroids, the steroid creams, right? You can only stay on those for so long because they do get absorbed and they do affect adrenal function. So it's yep. a slippery slope. So you hit it, you hit it for a while. You can suppress the inflammation. You can make things look better, but it's a honeymoon kind of thing. So you can't stick with it long-term. So you're always looking for corticosteroid-free therapies that you can use, yep. like I said, as a maintenance program. The other thing too is, and we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, is how the immune system gets triggered into these autoimmune diseases. You and I have talked about this before. So you're looking at, you know, 
uh, possibility of, of GI permeability issues, you're looking at the probability of you know, an immune imbalance because of that. You're also looking at dysbiosis or the, the flora of the microbiome living in the gut being tilted in one direction, favoring something that's not producing something that's good for the body, it's causing more inflammation. You know, you get this ubiquitin protein problem going on and then now the immune system is going wacky. And then you've got to be able to correct that. So you have to change the diet, you have to change lifestyle. These patients, you know, the majority, not everybody, but the majority of psoriasis, plaque psoriasis patients that I've treated are slightly overweight and they don't have good diets. You know, they're eating pro-inflammatory foods, they're eating a lot of fats. You know, they like to drive through. I mean, be be honest here, people go through the drive through and pick up stuff all the time. You know, you Dairy Queen today, you know, Burger King tomorrow, but I'm going to get beat Three up all these kids, companies. But I it, got it, it, 15 different lessons to go to. I just got to get a pizza, bite of food yeah, and feed the kids. Yeah, drive through makes, yeah, it makes life easy. Exactly. So you, you do what you do, and it, but it's, it's the American way, I think. But we end up suffering because of it, and you don't realize the impact that food is having on your GI tract and ultimately what it can do to your immune system. So fixing the diet, cleaning up the diet, you know, getting rid of you know, anything that's pro-inflammatory, grains, gluten, sugar, dairy, alcohol, any of those things that, that are causing inflammation. And people don't want to hear that. I mean, patients don't want to hear that. Well, you need to change your lifestyle. You know, no, you can't. I don't want to eat salads. That's what they always think. I don't want to eat salads. You know I mean? What's left? I mean, you're taking all the fun out of my life if I can't eat with the things that I like, you know, but, but moderation is where I'm going. And if you can eliminate two or three things that cause inflammation, you know, they do, then your gut's going to get better. And then you have to re- repair the gut, you know, so we're looking at probiotics and, you know, some glutamine, you know, after a little while, maybe some prebiotics and, you know, whatever it takes to put the fire out and get the gut healthy, happy again. Um, and then and then the other, there's the magic drug we've all been talking about for at least the last 10 years. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I'm not bringing it up. There's <laughs> <laughs> low-dose naltrexone because it's very, very good for the immune system and it's great for autoimmune skin diseases. So, you know, I'm bringing it up because we have to. It's it's a, it's the elephant in the room right now. That's, that is something that I advocate entirely when you get into an autoimmune dermatologic manifestation. Well, I, I think it was the dermatologist who wrote an article back in 2018, and they said there's a huge amount of value for naltrexone in the dermatological world because of those anti-inflammatory properties and those immunoregulatory properties. But we're also repairing the gut. And in combination to everything else as a combiner can do in a functional medicine perspective with supplementation and prebiotics and probiotics, et cetera, like you, you can really have a massive impact. And, and again, and this is now going to be my own personal perspective, is reducing the burden of other drugs. Decrease. Find the lowest effective dose of these other drugs in combination with what our interventions are. And mm-hmm. like you said, get away from the honeymoon sort of drugs and get away from these higher doses, biologics, and what, DMARDs, and whew, man, oh man, we can have some real positive benefit. But yeah, naltrexone, you get to talk about this one because I think you're going to be writing a chapter hopefully one day maybe for a Well, I don't know. No, maybe not. Maybe not. But um, the, the trick is is the it does reduce inflammation and it, it's affecting, you know, little receptors throughout the body, especially in the skin. And so if the skin's inflamed, you know, there's a reason it's inflamed, right? The, the immune system is supposed to produce inflammation. That's what we do. Whenever there's a scratch, an injury or... An infection, we produce inflammation as part of our innate immune function. So we're, we're, we're geared to do this. We're programmed to do this. But the problem is, what if it becomes chronic and doesn't turn off properly? We, we don't have the down-regulatory, you know, shut-off valve working properly. So now you've got this chronic inflammatory problem. Or perhaps the GI tract is inflamed and constantly fueling the fire, you know. So we, we get this uh, scenario where it's hard to turn off, but 
low-dose naltrexone does help turn that off. Is it a magic bullet for everything? No, it's not. It's not a panacea, but it does help downregulate it. So I think it's an adjunct, like you said, adjunct, add to, add to, right, rather than replace. Um, so that's that to me is, is is good. But there's there's some simple things that people, for example, people with psoriasis can do. You know, um, like I said, this this managing stress is massive because stress plays a huge role in these autoimmune problems, right? So if you can help people to relax, yoga, meditation, Tai Chi, gentle exercise, you know, get eight hours of sleep at night. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys do all this, right? So, you know. So, and I'm going to kind of drag Mike back into this one. Um, As a perspective for compounding pharmacists and saying like, okay, well, where do I find these resources? Because Nat, like you are an, uh, an amazing resource, but what other resources do you like that you've kind of tapped into and that you're, you're kind of able to say, hey, they're here on our website or um, this is where you can find them with PCCA? There's, there's two starting points that I, I would think most people would have to look at, specifically members of PCCA. Um, a lot of the information that Nat mentioned would be directly on the Zematop uh, product page. So, you know, searching for Zematop, X-E-M-A-T-O-P, um, and then everything is consolidated and organized on the base itself. So whether it's some of the studies that, you know, Nat alluded to, whether it's some of the other resources or documents that are tied to this specific area and this specific disease state, you can go on and find a variety of, of, of resources that can be brought to your PCP or to your dermatologist for more information and to help support what you're discussing as a pharmacist or also with your patients as well. So that's going to be your starting point. That's obviously quite easy um, because the information is all organized and and consolidated under the base itself. I think that the next best thing to do is to speak to clinical services. If you do have questions on the formulations that are specific or that what Nat or Sebastian alluded to. It's, you know, speaking to clinical services, getting them involved in the conversations. You can also seek out Sebastian and Nat specifically um, and find some of these formulations that, you know, have been created, have been reformulated, that are validated. I think that's an important aspect of membership as well, is that some of these formulas that were created years ago were reformulated using the new base. Uh, it may have used, uh, you know, a first-generation topical base that over time, the focus of our innovation team was truly to look at certain bases that had different properties that focused on niche items like this for psoriasis or eczema. So, you know, there, there's a lot of information. I think I alluded to a prior episode of the podcast, and I think for all of those listening, whether you're brand new or not, Um, chances are if you're just jumping in, you probably missed a lot of the earlier episodes if you didn't scroll back. I alluded to an episode in the 30s earlier. That was an error. Um, Episode 25 was with Nat as well, and he talked about low-dose naltrexone. So a lot of what you guys just chatted about, that whole episode was focused on low-dose naltrexone. And Nat mentioned some, you know, the, the rationale around you know, autoimmune inflammation and and how it pertained to dermatology. And then, Nat, I had to go all the way back, but episode 10, which was really one of our very first episodes, was centered around a lot of the dermatological applications and things that you're referring to now. So you have blog articles on the website, you have the podcast, you have 
resources and you know anything that would be in print that is linked back to the base. You have our symposiums, our seminars that we focus directly on these topics. This is just PCCA related, but there's a tremendous amount of information that can support your effort, your your knowledge, your foundation of what you need to both educate your both your staff, your patients, as well as your prescribers. It's all right there at your fingertips. Sometimes it just requires a bit more of a nudge and you know help being placed in the right direction. And that's what we're here for as well, is speaking to a member of the sales team who could easily help you navigate the members-only website, find this information, find the content, so that you're not wasting any time on the back end. So I hope that answers the question, because I know it's broad, um, but it's a starting point. I also mentioned Nat's eBooks. So Nat, you want to remind everybody about that as well, because I think that is a wealth of information that might not necessarily be accessed very frequently. Uh, no, it was published back in 2017 uh, with Avid Science. It was called Advances in Psoriasis. So it was, um, it, I, I often refer to it as uh, if you're having difficulty sleeping and looking for a, a good somnolent aid, you can read a chapter or read part <laughs> of the chapter that and have no issues falling asleep. You know, it's, too it's modest. Hard, it's, you're too modest. Uh, it's, it's like 96 pages long about psoriasis. Who needs to read that much? But anyway, it's there if you want to go dig it up and take a peek. Uh, but it's, it's like everything else. It was printed in 20, like September of 2017, and the day something's published, it's out of date already, right? So um, that's why we keep reading every day, right, Sebastian? Every day, it's nonstop. Yeah. Learning is, some, is an activity that never ceases. So uh, get your learn on, keep reading, find the topic you're passionate about, and uh, don't give up. Um, I came across an article, by the way, I was going to share this with everybody. Um, it's about vitamin D in psoriasis. This was published back in uh, 2017. It's called Vitamin D and its Role in Psoriasis, an Overview of Dermatolo Dermatologist and Nutritionist. Um, and it's, uh, uh, it, they, they go into the, all the benefits of vitamin D. So I'm a big advocate of optimizing vitamin D in your psoriasis patients it, it, because it, it helps with immune function. Sebastian can probably talk about that if you want. But the, the trick is, is, it's essential. And most people, I mean, I've, I've tested, I don't know, a thousand patients with a vitamin D level walking in the pharmacy and sending them back to their doctor, can you check the vitamin D level for me pretty please? And they would. And they're coming back way less than optimal, right? So vitamin D, I think, is critical. There's data out there showing that it does play a role in, in uh, psoriasis patients. So um, that's something for sure you can get behind to make sure that all your, your you know, patients who have this disease are, are trying to optimize their level because it does require some network to optimize. And I, I, as much as you like vitamin D, I'm a big, big fan of the microbiome and the, uh, the role that it plays. So I'm, I'm going to say that there's a ton of articles that are coming out. If you are looking for information, you can literally type into uh, any search engine, microbiome and psoriasis, and you can find the scholar articles there. And there's some just brilliant information where they're exploring the relationship. And more importantly, as, as pharmacists and people who are providing information, I'm not going to tell someone to stop eating Oreos, but I'm going to tell them to start taking an appropriate microbiome change, uh, probiotic and prebiotic. So vitamin D, probiotics, prebiotics, and some medication made by a compounder. Whew, now we're cooking with gas. Love it. Love it. We're going to fix these people. They're going to be less scratchy and scaly and more happy. So they'll be, they'll be showing off in the bikinis and uh, shorts by the end of uh, August. <laughs> Just in time for the end of summer. I'll, I'll try to wait until to do that at home in the hot tub when nobody's looking. So, <laughs> <laughs> Nat, you mentioned being, you know, that lifelong learner, that learner, learning never stops. Where, where do you access a lot of your information? 
um, how do you constantly stay on top of everything as a clinician and, and someone who's so involved with our pharmacists? Where do you self-educate? Um, and see how I did that. I, I completely changed the topic from the hot tub situation, and we, we, <laughs> we, we, we had to go in a different direction. Anything to get away from the hot tub, I get you. Uh, but in, in general, I'm a, there's a couple of websites I really like. I mean, I, I read uh, PubMed. I'm on PubMed all day, every day, regardless. So we're looking up articles left and right, everybody is. But um, there's a website that's from the New Zealand Dermatologic Society. It's called DermNet NZ. stands for New Zealand. Um, they have got fabulous information on their website. Anybody can access it. It's free online. They've got pictures of all these derm diseases. They've got, you know, the standard of care treatment options listed. They're constantly updating their website. I absolutely I love it. Another one I go to is I, I look at pathology outlines because it's one of those things where you can dig a little deeper into, like, the actual disease state when they do a, a, a punch biopsy or a biopsy of a dermatologic condition. The uh, dermatopathologist will go back and give extensive descriptions of what they see histologically uh, and from a gross um, a macroscopic perspective as well, so presentation and how it morph, morphs and all that kind of stuff. So you get a lot of information about the progression of the disease because there's a lot of things involved. Like I said, with the immune system, you know, you can have, you know, macrophages or white blood cells releasing histamine, and that would show up on the histology slide. If they've got eosinophils migrating into the tissue, that'll show up on the slide too. So all those kind of little tips will give you directions on which drugs or treatments would be best suited to treat the disease state based on what's coming up with the patho- with the actual pathology of the disease. So those are a couple of things that I spend a lot of time perusing on a regular basis. I, I actually find that most of my self-learning comes from the questions of our, of our membership. Absolutely. Like, have you heard about this? And there's a new study. So I'm constantly being pushed. And honestly, that's one of my favorite things is when I get questions that I just have never seen before. So I'm going to say to our to our listeners if you have a question that you're not sure of please push it forwards to us because this gives us an opportunity to learn I, I did a talk at the last derm seminar where i just went back and took phone calls that i'd answered on dermatologic questions and turned them into individual topics i wound up presenting i think like 11 or 12 separate disease states based on phone calls and i'd, I'd hardly covered any of these diseases in the past they're not extremely common it's not like psoriasis which is kind of a you know, a fairly common, extremely common dermatologic problem, but some of these were less common, but it's something that dermatologists uh, deal with on a routine basis. They may not have 500 patients coming to their practice for this one disease. They may only have five, but they've got five, and every dermatologist has five, you know. Um, a little tidbit of knowledge that I would, I'll share with you guys, since you guys are both from Canada, I did some numbers looking, and up in Canada, to get in to see the dermatologist takes a while, because Believe it or not, in the entire country of Canada, there's less than 1,000 dermatologists in the entire country. Of how many million people? It's, it's, uh, so, million? Yeah, it's, so the wait is long. Unless you've got something that's an immediate, probable, recognizable tumor, you don't get in very fast, right? It takes a while. And the same is not, not true in the U.S., but, I mean, I was just talking with the, the physician who do, did our derm seminar. She is only one of two dermatologists in a city of 350,000 people. There's a wait to see her. You know, I mean, a couple of months. Right, so it's not like you can just you know it's not like an urgent care where you walk in and get seen in an hour. You know what I mean? It's a whole lot different. And so therefore, if you're in Canada or even in the U.S. in certain parts of the country, depending on availability, you're working with a family practitioner or an urgent care physician as the as the prescriber, and they're they're seeing a disease state they may or may not completely recognize, or they kind of recognize it, but they're not sure what the next step is in terms of treatment. They're not familiar with the biologics to be used. It's not their wheelhouse. So as a compounding pharmacist, you can play a massive role 
to the frontline family practice and nurse practitioners and, and intermediate practitioners who are dealing with derm as the triage point and help steer them in the right direction with a, with a compounded therapy that's going to benefit the patient. That, that to me, is a big niche for compounding. Yeah, it's extremely well said. But, yeah, there, there, does, there is that issue and concern north of the border, um, obviously a bit different in the United States, but nevertheless still a tremendous opportunity. I was even thinking in recognition of psoriasis and eczema month, which is a national uh, recognition in the United States in the month of August, this is also a marketing opportunity to think back. in When you're, you're setting plans and goals for the year, being aware of which disease states are, are formally recognized at a national level and use that as leverage for your patient education to, you know, from, we always talk about patient driven marketing and, you know, creating more awareness, having a lot of these folks go back to their physicians as well, whether it's dermatologist or, or family care, and then, you know, using this as a launch pad of, uh, and to remind your local community of what they can do, what, the, what exists, the possibilities. We mentioned a lot where you can access a lot of the resources, but um, you can formulate a pretty solid marketing plan um, on behalf of what you're trying to do as an independent community pharmacy based on a lot of the, you know, month-to-month disease states that are formally recognized nationally. So it's just a constant reminder that, you know, driving a lot of the focus in education at the patient level is equally important. And, and that's going to also prompt a lot of these folks to speak to their physician about what capabilities and what's an opportunity um, if they work together with a compounding pharmacist. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Nat. You're welcome. Well, I have a feeling you're going to be back. How many? Hey. How many is this? Like seven? I was looking back, and that's why, like in the beginning of the podcast, I was scrolling through our episodes. I'm like, am I right by saying thirty something? But yeah, it was episode ten was where we first touched on the on this topic specifically in dermatology, and there was episode twenty five that was on low dose naltrexone, and then shortly after, there was an episode in the thirties on ENT. So. Nat's covered a whole bunch of stuff. I feel like he's also been on an adrenals. Maybe not. I might be crazy. Um, but you, you definitely are no stranger to the podcast. I hope you're no stranger to our audience because a lot of the folks that are tied into PCCA know you very well as a clinical services member and as well have either seen you present and speak on either certain seminars and, and obviously on the PCCA stage. So thanks, Nat, for coming back. It's always fun to record with you. My pleasure, sir. I think you're north. Of, I think you're north of the border right now, aren't you? Oh, I'm. I'm up in Saskatchewan as we speak. So it's a lovely day up here. I think the, the let's see Fahrenheit. It's about seventy degrees outside, partly cloudy. Well, yeah, you, it's, you, it's, uh, you've maintained your southern accent. That's one thing that's oh, for sure. It, I don't think it can leave at this point. It's embedded. It's definitely, so, uh, it's definitely not a Saskatchewan accent. I, I, I stand out up here. That's there's no question about it. I don't <laughs> I don't say I don't say the, the local phrases quite as well. And everybody talks to me and in one sentence they go, Where are you from? You know what I mean? So they, it's a it's a it's an obvious thing. So Well fortunately Sebastian and I are in the same position being in Texas. So there you go. But yeah, yeah. appreciate you being here. Thanks, Seb. And thanks to all of our listeners out there. It's a pleasure that you always um, have a chance to connect with us through our episodes and I hope that you appreciated uh, Nat and Sebastian's knowledge on this topic. Um, as always, a reminder not to miss a beat. Subscribe so that you do not miss an episode. Don't hesitate to follow us along on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Until next time, this is Mike Delisio, and thanks for listening. <laughs>